You're listening to the Fooled by the Root podcast. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Heidi Marble. I am so glad you're here to listen to this episode with adoptee and therapist Leslie Johnson. We talked about adoption-related trauma, separation anxiety, making sense of adoption. We talked about search and reunion. We also talked about our own personal experiences with our adoptive moms. Leslie dove deep into how to work through thoughts and feelings. She is compassionate and caring. I found this episode to be healing, comforting, and hopeful. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Pull by the Root podcast. I am delighted to have Leslie Johnson with us today for this episode. She is a therapist and just a beautiful voice in the adoption community. I would like to read you her bio. Leslie Johnson is a licensed marriage and family therapist and coach specializing in adoption-related issues. Her clients include all members of the adoption and foster care community, adoptees, adoptive parents, waiting parents, birth and first parents, foster parents, and families. An adoptee herself, Leslie's personal experience allows her to connect with this community in a unique way. Leslie is a certified EMDR therapist and trained in brain spotting and the trauma resiliency model. In addition to her work in private practice, Leslie facilitates virtual healing courses, adoption support groups, and consults on film, television, and creative projects that have adoption-related themes. Oh, Leslie, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I, I first, yeah, I first heard your beautiful message on um, uh, Haley Radke's adoptees on, yeah. and that was during a time where I was just starting to come to terms with everything in my own adoption. So, thank you for the gift of being out here helping. It's just an amazing thing. Would you be willing? I know you're very well known in our community, but for those that might be new or listening in that don't know your story, would you mind sharing your adoption story, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, thanks again for having me, and I'm so thrilled that you you did hear me on Haley's podcast. And I just I just want to say uh, I just appreciate your work, and I appreciate Haley's work. I think she's done so much for our, done so much for our community, and is doing so much for our community. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to share my my adoption story. Um, so I was born a long time ago. <laughs> I'm OLD. <laughs> so was I, Leslie. So was I. <laughs> and so my my birth mother, Candace, um, got pregnant, and she was not married to my biological father. And while she um, did want to parent me, the two sets of grandparents, my biological grandparents, made the decision that she would not be doing that. And like many women um, in in that era, we call that the baby scoop era. She was sent away. She actually kept my pregnancy hidden from her family, who she lived with, um, until she was about seven and a half months pregnant. Um, so there was a lot happening in that family that that allowed her to do that. Um, what I mean by that is I, I, there was some there were some addiction issues, and I think you know she she's a very um, thin person, so I can't imagine how she. I can and I can't imagine it, but she did keep my her pregnancy hidden. And when her parents did find out, they sent her away to 
um, finished out her pregnancy and she gave birth to me. I was born in 1967. And again, that was a time when women were, you know, there was nobody in the delivery room holding her hand or, or encouraging her. She, I was, a, I was immediate, she was sedated, uh, not completely, but she did not get to hold me or um, see me in the delivery room. There was a sheet up. Um, she did get to see me after I was born, but she didn't hold me, didn't feed me. And like other women during that time, they were told, you know, this is the best thing for your child. Um, you'll be able to go and continue your life. And, you know, to some extent, the, the message was, you won't even remember this. You'll just be able to go on and live your life. And what we know now today is that's so not true, right? So the the baby and birth mom, uh, it's a traumatic experience for both. And she, of course, did not uh, forget about the experience and um, nor did I. So I was in foster care for about three and a half months. I don't know with who um, or ac actually where. I mean, I assume I'm, I was born in California in Los Angeles, so I was somewhere in Los Angeles. Um, but because our records are still sealed here in California, I don't have access to that information. And my birth mother doesn't know where I was. She wasn't aware that I was, um, well, she was aware that I was put in, in foster care because she was, after I was born, she was trying um, frantically to figure out a way to parent me and actually didn't sign the final papers until I was three and a half months old. Um, and then I was placed with my adoptive parents um, who were told, like, again, many people at the time, you know, you can choose whether you want your kids, your child to know that they were adopted, um, but really just bring them home and treat them like your own. So uh, my parents also adopted uh, a few years later, they adopted uh, my brother who is not genetically related to me. So they have had two adopted children and they told us, I don't remember when they told us so that as a therapist, I know that's a good sign. It, you know, we're supposed to kind of just have that information in our, just in our, in our mind, not have a, not have a memory of a time that there's a big sit down and we've got something to tell you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's not a good conversation to have. <laughs> so they told, they told us we were adopted, but, but that was it. There was no, um, I didn't exactly know what adoption was. I didn't know if my parents, my, my biological parents were going to come back and, and, you know, one day bring me back with them. Um, and I didn't, that caused me a lot of anxiety because I loved my adoptive parents. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have context. I didn't know other adopted kids. Um, and so I grew up with the information that I was adopted. Um, I thought about my birth parents and the circumstances of my birth a lot, but again, there was no one talking about it. So I didn't feel safe to bring it to my parents' attention. Um, but I, but I suffered tremendous anxiety and separation anxiety. And, you know, my parents brought me to a therapist when I was, I think around nine and that guy didn't ask about adoption. I mean that, you know, so there, again, it was all these things that I see now in my practice with families. Um, I think people, parents hopefully are, are, you know, more transparent, but, you know, I had just tremendous anxiety and fantasies about who my birth mother was. And, you know, she was probably in a band and my birth father was probably a rock star. <laughs> oh yeah. So were mine. I'm sure they traveled together. <laughs> traveled on a bus and, oh yeah. Um, um, that's not actually the case. And so, so I, 
just didn't, again, didn't have the tools or the people in my life to really help me make sense of my adoption story or how separation loss and trauma impacted me. Um, and I tried to search for my birth mother when I was in my, in college and my adoptive mom found out. And I like to joke that I think I, when we first spoke, Heidi, I told you that my adoptive mom is probably, she's not alive anymore, but it was probably the one person in my life that didn't know I was adopted. And so her denial was real deep. And so when she found out I was searching, she um, became really, really upset. And I was very close to her. And at the time, again, I hadn't, I hadn't really um, come out of the fog. That term, some people find it offensive. I, I find it kind of illustrative, actually. But I didn't know how impact uh, that the impact of my early experiences had affected me. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose another mother. So it wasn't until my mid twenties when my birth mother um, hired a detective and found me. And we met one time when my uh, mom was on vacation in Europe, far enough away that she wouldn't find out. <laughs> so your adoption mom was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's actually really, yeah, I get it. And it was, it was a, it was a nice meeting, but again, I, I was, so um, worried about protecting that relationship with my adoptive mom that I, I didn't uh, stay in contact with my birth mom. And it wasn't until I was in graduate school that I really, I felt like such a fraud because I was studying, you know, family therapy and trauma and really starting then to connect the dots of my, um, my adoption story. And so I reached back out to my birth mother and we've been in reunion um, we're, we're, we don't have a close relationship, but we, we, I am close with her brother. Um, and we, you know, we talk, we talk occasionally. Um, but that was really the, but my time in graduate school, I should go back a little bit. I worked with a therapist when I was in my twenties who helped me with a lot of things, but never again, I'd been conditioned that adoption wasn't part of my story, an important part of my story or my symptoms. Um, so we weren't talking about anything that would have that would have really gotten to the root of what was happening for me. Um, she was a great therapist in some in some ways, and but she, like many therapists still today, they might not they might not ask, um, you know, were you adopted? And people, I think today it's a little bit different, but people who come into therapy, adoptees are overrepresented in counseling centers and seek therapy more often than non-adoptees. And sometimes they go in saying, maybe this has something to do with adoption, but if a therapist or a helping professional isn't, isn't, if that's not on their radar to even ask, right, if, why isn't it on an intake form? Um, you know, by the time clients often get to me, they've seen several other therapists that have never talked about their early experiences um, or kind of swept them under the rug. So... I don't yeah, know if I that's, answered your question or no, you no, you you did. And I I distinctly remember our conversation about our adopted moms because my my adopted mom, she was my person. And I believed that we would ride through reunion and be able to survive it. And we did not. Our relationship for 20 years, I was so full of shame and guilt. And still in the fog, because I don't know what other term to use. So that feels right in this instance. Yeah. And after she passed and I was writing my book, I received an article from my co-author. And it was the first time I had really considered adoption as a, 
a trauma at birth. And it was as if my whole life rewound in those moments. And it was, it was really excruciating to, to understand more about why, like you with the anxiety, it's a, it's a very impactful thing to have to deal with day in and day out. And I think your point that adoption, it's not only invisible sometimes to the adoptee, but to the rest of the world, that it's even a problem. And so the fact that, you know, we can go to a therapist that can acknowledge that, I think that's a huge step toward healing. And, you know, and I would love, I would love to talk to you more. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about you? You said your adopted mom, she's, she's not alive anymore. Right. She died in 2008. And like you, she was my person. I was very close to her. I, we could talk about most anything, you know, I, we had a very, very close relationship and it seems impossible today. It seems impossible to believe that I would really be doing the work that I'm doing now. If she were still alive, I don't know that it would be possible because like I said, she, the adopt, the topic of adoption as it related to me was was pretty off limits as it related to other people, right. As it related to her stepdaughter who adopted a child to good family friends, she could talk about that. But, but, you know, I always had this fantasy when I had finally met my birth mother, that one day my birth mom and my, my mom would, you know, sit down and have a glass of wine and, and, you know, and this sounds, and this isn't in, in a narcissistic way, but they would talk about me, right. They would shit my mom, my adoptive mom would tell my birth mom, you know, what I did as a child. And, um, that never happened because, uh, my, my adoptive mom refused to, to meet them. She refused to meet my birth mom. She refused to, um, she did meet my, my biological uncle, my birth mom's brother, but, but it didn't go well. Um, so she, she, I really fought and I really, like you thought that I was going to convince her that this was important because it was so important to me. Um, so. Yeah. And how, and, you know, I, I just wonder, sorry to keep drilling down on that because it's still so fresh for, for me. And, you know, I wonder how have you healed from that and reconciled that, you know, in her absence, obviously, can you tell us more about that? Well, I think that I, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it wasn't, it hasn't been necessarily easy, but with the help, I think with, you know, friends and people that, that validated my experience, um, therapists who do understand separation, you know, separation trauma and adoption related trauma, but a lot of self-compassion too, because mm-hmm. essentially, um, she died. I mean, she died suddenly of a, of a massive stroke. She was very healthy and this was a fluke, but, but, you know, wondering if, if my persistence somehow, you know, logically, I know that what, what I was trying to get my mom to do to meet my biological relatives didn't kill her, but, you know, a part of my brain thought, oh my gosh, like, did I just cause her so much stress? And, you know, recognizing again, that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. And I didn't do that, but just, you know, there was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of sadness that she couldn't meet me there. Um, so I guess the way that I, that I have healed, and I think that I have, I think that I'm, you know, I think healing is a process, but in terms of that is just a lot of uh, self-compassion and, and yeah. 
Yeah, no, thank thank you for sharing that because I I want to lead now into your your therapeutic life because I think your outreach is so substantial through uh, you know ask adoption. I just think the work that you're doing to help our community is is brilliant, and I wonder how how you decided to take that path and become so specific in helping, obviously you're adopted, but at what point did you say, this is going to be my life's mission? I am doing this. Well, that's a good question. And, and so when I, uh, becoming a therapist was kind of a, a second or third career. I can say the word career, but the first, the first two weren't necessarily careers, but I came to, to it a little bit later in life. And when I, when I became licensed, I was a general therapist, uh, seen, you know, all different kinds of clients and had a real um, interest in trauma-informed care and attachment. And it, I don't know that there was just a day that I decided that, that you know, that I was going to really focus on working with adoptive families and foster families and teen, you know, adopted teens and adults. Um, but it, it, it started. I mean, I, I started to, to see adult adoptees as clients, and then I started thinking, "Oh wow, this is what this is a kind of therapy I think that 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 could really benefit them." So I got trained in some uh, what we call brain-based therapies that uh, EMDR, brain spotting, that work with the part of the brain that trauma where trauma is stored. They're also excellent therapies for preverbal trauma. So that that's trauma that happens before a person has the language to describe it. So a lot of adoptees, um, if the, the separation from their birth parent was before the age of three or so, before they had language, talk therapy isn't going to be um, all that helpful. It, it can be helpful, but talk therapy in conjunction with another kind of, again, a brain-based therapy, brain spotting, EMDR, neurofeedback will, will uh, allow for um, much more symptom relief. So I really just started thinking, uh, this is... This is what I want to do. And I, I began working um, with adoptive parents and helping them with language and how to talk about the, their their child's experience with their child. And then with adoptees and started some groups. And I'm I'm I mean, I feel passionate about passionate about the work and so grateful that I get to do it. Yeah, I think you know, the the trauma feels like such a beast. And, you know, I have about self-helped myself to, <laughs> yeah. and to know that there is something beyond words that can be helpful because I'm not aware of it. Could you give me an example of what the pre-verbal, like what a therapeutic application would look like? Is it, sure. hopefully it's not shock therapy. No, no, no. So, so again, I think, I think also just over the last several years, the word trauma, you know, people aren't aren't kind of thrown off by that word because before, you know, people were like adoption isn't trauma. Okay. Well maybe adoption isn't trauma, but the separating a child from their biology is traumatic, right? The nervous system shifts during that period, whether it's a, whether it's an infant, a newborn, a, you know, a small child, an any, an older child, if they've been placed in different placements, I mean, these separations and the loss are, is traumatic and again, if something happens to a person before they have, before the language centers of the brain develop, 
so essentially before they have the words to explain what happened, a conscious recall of the event, that the, those events are just encoded into the nervous system. They're called implicit memories, body memories. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps a Score, um, mm-hmm. great book, uh, you know, talks, talks about implicit only memories. So what it might look like is uh, working with an adult um, who was adopted and, and many times they'll say things like, yeah, I don't, I, it's just a feeling I have. It's just a feeling. I don't know if it happened or I don't know what happened. So uh, for instance, if we're, if we're working with EMDR, if we're using EMDR therapy, which stands for eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, we work with the body and we work with the beliefs around an event, even if we, even if someone can't remember it. So um a lot of times we'll work with the with blocking beliefs or core beliefs. A lot of adoptees share the same beliefs. I'm not lovable. It's not safe to trust. People leave me. Um, I need to be perfect. I'm not enough. I'm too much. So we might work with that. So when you when you you know say to yourself, I'm not enough, what do you notice in your body? Oh, my throat feels tight. I feel sick to my stomach. And do you have a specific memory around? around that. Um, they may or may not. Um, and what are your emotions? And then uh, with EMDR therapy, we use what's called bilateral stimulation. It was originally um, the, 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 the person who developed EMDR therapy uh, used eye movement. So tracking the eyes left, right, left, right. Um, now EMDR has evolved a little bit uh, you can use sensory uh, tactile tapping. So holding these little buzzers left that tap in your or buzz in your hands, left, right, left, right. Um, you know, the last year I've only been seeing people, uh, people virtually. So I have people tap on the tops of their, their legs, left, right. And what happens is all parts of the brain, specifically the left and the right hemisphere, um, communicate, integrate, and the body sensations quiet, the beliefs shift. Um, and there's a new, a new belief about oneself. That's so, it's so nice to know that there's relief because it is very difficult. And I know there's a lot of self-destructive behaviors and avoidance behaviors and right. ways of coping that are not to our benefit, right. <laughs> that are, that right. are going on out there. So to know that there are things that feel safe to try that can help us quiet the nervous system and be able to, you know, calm down. And I think that's really powerful. I think one of the things that I, I loved when you said attachment rupture, I just, that word rupture, it's, it's like how I feel every two seconds There's something just so intense going on. It, it's really, really interesting when you're in the thick of healing and coming out of the fog there's so much emotion that's on the surface. And I wonder if you can, you know, maybe expand on, on that whole idea of something rupturing and, and what that looks like, you know, <laughs> well, I, think I just that, thought it was a really yeah. great word. <laughs> well, I think the original rupture or interruption of an, the attachment bond would be during separation, right? So again, if it's, if it's at birth, you know, baby, who's just been so, you know, safe in, 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 you know, in utero is born and needing 
to be soothed, you know, so when a baby is born, the only part of the brain that's fully developed is the sympathetic nervous system, the fight, flight, or freeze. And baby needs familiar mom to act as that parasympathetic brakes, the brakes of the, the nervous system, this, you know, to provide the soothing agent by holding and her, letting her voice calm and soothe the baby. And if, again, if that, that, that attachment that's beginning is ruptured, the baby feels like it, it's in danger, right? And the levels of cortisol, the stress hormones shoot up. Um, and that's not to say, you know, our, our brains change throughout our lifespan. That's the beauty of neuroplasticity, but, but that doesn't minimize what's happening in those moments, right? So then if baby's placed or infant or child is placed in foster care and they develop a, a bond there and then they're taken and placed somewhere else, another attachment rupture, right? So that gets encoded into the nervous system. And if there's not someone that's putting words to these experiences, so that's the, where the adoptive parents come in. They can say, wow, you know, this, you know, you're so scared. You're, you have such fear around um, when mommy goes, you know, in the other room, in my case, <laughs> when, you know, I needed my mom to say, you know, when mommy goes in the other room, she's coming back, you know, and she needed to say that over and over and over. That would have calmed my nervous system. Um, that's where the healing begins. And if we can, if we can help, you know, kids heal early and help put words to their fears and experiences, you know, they don't have to go through their lives and then do the hard work, you know, in their, in their adulthood. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think I love the fact that you're working with all of, all of the different parties involved in this, because I, I think what we're really trying to do in our platform is not make it exclusive because I really want to understand, you know, it's been actually very pivotal to listen to some birth mothers and their experience and their trauma. It's actually softened my heart toward their experience and, and, Absolutely. and then adoptive parents, you know, I know there's a lot of heat on them, but I feel for them, you know, infertility is, is not a fun thing to experience. And you know, it's complicated to adopt a child and, and to be able to care for them properly in a way that's healing. And then, of course, the adoptees who, have, you know, obviously I feel extra compassionate for because that is really the most innocent party if you broke it down in that way. And but I just think all of us sitting around and being able to have real discussions about what this all looks like and, and how to navigate through it is really important. And I think it would be really amazing for adoptive parents that are listening to, to this, Leslie, to hear maybe just a few, uh, you know, distilled pieces of advice for, for them, because I know I think a lot of them are reaching out and trying to figure out how to help their children. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think my my big advice is to do for adoptive parents to do their work, right? So to do their work from the start. Um, and what I mean by that is to educate themselves, listen to the voice of adoptees who have, have lived the experience um, to do, to grieve, to grieve their inability to conceive if that's the reason they chose adoption, right? So adoption is not, adopting a child is not a replacement for a biological child. It's not a replacement for a child who may have died. Adoption is another way of forming a family. Um, so when parents can 
can, you know, if, approach it in that way, right? This is a different way of forming a family than maybe we thought we were going to, you know, embark on. Um, and and not only do their work, but continue to do their work around issues related to separation, loss, grief, talk, you know, incorporate in their child's um, story their what they know about their 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 time before they came to be a family. You know, even if it was nine months in utero, that that's that's history, right? So, the adopted child's history did not begin when they were placed in their adoptive family, in their adoptive family's home. Um, I think parents, if they're adopting children uh, of another race, that they need to be really comfortable talking about difference and race, identity, ethnicity, culture. Yeah, I, I think it's so powerful to just to, to think about how we can help adoptive parents be able to support their children because it could make all the difference. I can't even imagine how different so many lives would have been Absolutely. instead of it being ignored and you're just like us and, and you're like, no, I am definitely, no, no, definitely not like this at all. And I wonder, you know, how can you speak to adoptive parents who could feel threatened by reunion, by these questions, because I can understand that would be a natural reaction. And, and how do you, like, how do you calm them? And how do you let them know that this is normal? Right. What, what do you say? Well, I say that, you know, search and reunion isn't, it's about their adopted, it's about their child, right? It's, it's not about them. It's about a, a person wanting to know their history and everybody has a history and everybody has a right to know their history. Um, it doesn't have to be a threat. And again, I think when parents are ha have educated themselves prior to, a, you know, early on in the, in the process, they'll know that. They'll know, okay, so one day my child is, is going to want to know um, and deserves, not just want, deserves to know. And I'm not going to make this... Um, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to make them pull it out of me. Right. So I think talking to, to a child about their, their history and talking about adoption, it's a lot of little conversations, um, not one big one and truth and transparency. Uh, people, people get to know their entire story, even the hard parts. So a lot of times I'm working with parents on how do I talk to my child about, uh, you know, their, their biological father's uh, time in prison? Or how do I talk to my child and explain to them that their birth father killed their birth mother, right? So these are, these are you know, we're not going to talk to a four or five-year-old about that, but we're going to pr start practicing pretty early on. So when that child is, you know, a teenager, I think the consensus among professionals is that everyone deserves to know their story by the time they're, they're a teenager. Um, and that is if, if we want to tell kids things um, that, that, so that when they know the concepts, right, when they have an understanding of what rape is or what prison is or what drugs are, um, then we're going to introduce those stories and we're going to introduce them in a, in an age appropriate way. Yeah. I think, I think that's one thing that's so interesting to me as I'm learning more about 
the adoption terminology is the ghost kingdom, like you and I were talking about. You know, my mom was queen and my dad was this, and your your parents right. were rock stars. Yeah. And when you it is very likely, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you find your truth, it would there are going to be some difficult elements to it in varying degrees. Right. And I think that. When I went into reunion, I just stampeded like a bull in Spain, just without any sort of concern for what it would do to anyone. And and I think it was catastrophic. And so, you know, what advice would you give to adoptees who are trying to find their truth, who are in reunion or considering it? You know, what should they do? I know you can't uh, protect yourself from every outcome, but at least going into it with some sort of right. <laughs> toolbox would be helpful. Well, I think I think that um, there's there's a misconception sometimes that reunion is is like the end game, right? So, oh, that's the goal, reunion, and then everything is going to fall into place. Well, I can honestly say that I have not ever seen that happen. Um, you, reunion is is in many ways the beginning of an of another. It doesn't sound. I don't love this analogy, but another chapter, right? So you reach reunion, and now you've got people, biological family, um, together, trying to heal in different ways, right? So I encourage people to go, go slow. Work with someone. Work with, with work with a professional if if that feels helpful, or talk to other adoptees about their experience. Um, but also knowing that, that, that both, uh, in terms of, uh, the biological parent, biological parents and adopt an adopted person, um, some of the fears are the same, right? So a lot of times the, the belief is I've got to get it all in this one meeting. I've got to, or this one conversation, I've got to say everything that I need to say, want to say, because the fear is this might be the last time I talk to them, right? So that fear of loss, that fear of, of loss again, so again, it's 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 recognizing, setting some uh, guidelines. You know, I, I'm not going anywhere, um, but not. I would probably, when I work with people that are 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 navigating reunion. Um, you know, I, I encourage them to go a little bit slower. I think that's really good advice. <laughs> I'm not a therapist, but I second that. But also <laughs> go the other, slow. The other thing too is I think what I've found is a lot of a lot of times um adoptees will wait until their their adoptive parents are dead bef- before searching. And then what do they find out? They find out that their biological parents have also died. And then there's that terrible grief and loss too and disappointment. So um, you know, I think it's, it's, if when adoptive parents can be encouraging of their, their children, no matter the age, right. That, that it's okay to be curious about this. It's okay. You know, I tell parents, okay, when your seven-year-old says, I want to meet my birth mom. Okay. I, can, I hear that's really important to you. You know, doesn't mean we're going to have to do it tomorrow. It has to, it has to be safe and in the child's best interest. Um, but acknowledging that that's okay that he feels that way. Yeah, because it gets internalized as guilt and shame and betrayal. <clears throat> and those are all very difficult emotions to navigate. Right. And very, very hard. Like I I feel like I had an affair with my birth family because I hid it from my mom right. uh, because she did not want to know. 
and what that did psychologically was certainly certainly not good and very preventable because had she had the knowledge and felt secure that we would get through this right i think it would have endured us more to each other and it just i think i just want to prevent that pain in others so i'm so glad that we're able to have this open honest conversation leslie right. about this and you know there's so many things i still want to talk to you about but i know we're you know you have other things to do today probably but I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, society. And, and it's so painful to me the few times when people ask me about the project and I'll tell them we're trying to, you know, open up awareness about adoption issues. And they look at me like I have three eyes half the time until they listen to a podcast or two. And then I get these text messages. I never thought about it that way. And when I look at the, the vast amount of outreach that you have, and I think about the like the script consulting, you know, to me, that is so amazing that you do that because if you can get in there, whatever society is viewing and give a realistic take on what it's like to be adopted, I would just be really interested to hear more about that part of what you do and, and how you feel it impacts. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's, I mean, I guess because I'm so immersed in it and like, like you, I often well, I'm hopeful because I'm a hopeful person, but I often am tricked into thinking that, oh, society is really coming a long way in terms of talking about this, you know, talking about adoption and talking about the grief and loss associated with separating a child from their biology. But then I run into things, um, you know, like when, when people come, when I, when I'm working with someone and they said, oh, I just came from the dentist and the dentist was asking if I have a history of um, you know, gum disease, or I was at the doctor and, you know, there, I had to fill out all these forms and I couldn't answer any of the questions. Still how far we have to come, right? Again, because why isn't all that information, were you adopted? You know, do you know this information? Um, or kids who, this little guy that I worked with who his teacher wanted uh, the class to do, make Mother's Day cards. And he made one for his adoptive mom and he made one for his birth mom and the teacher said why are you making this so complicated pick one right so so I just got goosebumps not good goosebumps like I had goosebumps right and so then he so pick one I mean are you kidding me so there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more of our voice I I believe the adoptive voice that needs to be heard you know in terms of like I mentioned earlier that adopt adoptees show up for therapy and in counseling centers at a much higher rate than non-adopted people. Adoptees attempt suicide four times more than the non-adopted population. Um, There's, you know, treatment centers and facilities are full of people who are adopted and there aren't, not, I'm not, I'm not speaking in totality, but there are not therapists there that are adoption informed therapists. So we, so again, they're not getting the help and guidance and help with connecting the dots of their story that they deserve and need. Um, yeah, so the more we can expose that, and I think through the media, I know I've been doing a lot of podcasts and people have been telling me about uh, this is us episode that really nailed it. And I thought, oh gosh, that's so wonderful. Hopefully somebody like you is behind the scenes saying this is how this, this looks in real life. Right. And, so I you know don't, maybe there can 
Yeah. So disclaimer, I, I, I'm, I don't, I have not done script consulting for this is us. I would, but I haven't, but um, yes, that's the kind of, that's what we want portrayed. We want it. We want adoption, separation, loss, um, transracial adoption, trans country adoption. We want it portrayed in a, in an honest and real way, which includes the pain and heartache and grief and loss. Yes, and, and we thank want you that, for acknowledging that. Yeah, and we want that to come from the, the person who's had that lived experience, the adopted person, yeah. the adoptee. No question, Leslie. And as we like wrap it up, what hope can you give us that, that are trying to heal and calm down and get these nervous systems under control and and hopefully find some sort of peace. I know we were talking to another adoptee therapist and he said, it's really about mastering trauma. And I love that concept because it's not about erasing it. It's about being able to manage it. And that feels a whole lot more approachable. Yes. So just wonder if we can leave on, you know, a more sparkly note. <laughs> A sparkly note. Well, I like to tell people. I like to tell people the thing. The thing is, I believe in healing. I believe our brains change through experience, and that our brains change throughout our lifespan. So this concept of of neuroplasticity, and there there are practical tools and things that we can do um, to change our brains, right? So that we can. I mean in one way you can look at it, the worst thing has already happened to us, right? We were separated from our birth mothers at birth or, or sh- shortly after, or maybe years after, and, and we've survived, right? So th- that speaks volumes, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to play a Bonnie bright side, but I absolutely believe in healing and um, that we can develop ways of, working with our thoughts and feelings where we feel more in control of them rather than being controlled by them. We can find community with other adoptees that I think is, you know, we can listen to podcasts and get the validation that maybe we have never had. Um, But I just know that I wouldn't be doing the work that I do if I didn't believe that change and healing was possible. Yes. Thank you for that. Because I think, you know, when you spoke to the four times more likely to commit suicide. That is, that is a very real, real statistic. And a lot of us don't make it. And I think it's so important to know that there is hope out there um, for us and that we can find that in community and through therapists and that we are not alone, even though it may feel that way sometimes. Right. And community can be one other person, right? Yeah. Talking with one other adopted person that, that we're, you know, a person can get their feelings and their experience um, validated. I mean, there are lots of yeah. community and there's, you know, groups and community popping up all over, but, but I like to tell people it could, it could be one person, right. That, that. Yes. You. Yes. Because that, that is the trick. You just want to be heard and seen and validated. Yes. Right. Oh, Leslie, this time with you has been amazing. Is there anything else you would, you would like to say before we wrap it up? I think I would just like to thank you for for this new endeavor, and I'm excited to hear and see uh, how it grows. Yeah, I am too. It's it's been 
Oh my gosh. It's just been, I don't know how else to explain it, but it feels like I'm just spinning in all of this beautiful energy and people are contacting us from all over the globe. And it, it feels like the world is just getting smaller in a beautiful way. And that we're able to connect with these voices and these stories and these people that are coming together. It's just a beautiful tapestry and I'm just, I'm just kind of being swept up in it and feeling the glory of it as I'm going through my own healing process. Like, I think this is the first podcast I haven't had like a major meltdown. So thank you. I think oh. I'm making progress. So. Oh, that's, but beautiful. I'm so looking, yeah, I'm so looking forward to hopefully connecting with you again. And thank you for the work that you do. And it, it is, it matters. And I can't wait to take that course this summer. Leslie does incredible courses. Everybody needs to get on her website. So I cannot wait to partake, Leslie. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you.